0: let's take a seat together we're going to read some of the bible this morning thank you for the music this morning if you'd like a bible if you'd like to borrow a church bible there's a few kicking around we're going to be in a little tiny book that hides at the back of the new test at the back of the old testament Um, The easiest way to find this book is called Haggai. The easiest way to find it is to go to um, Matthew, which is the beginning of the New Testament, and then rewind until you bump into Haggai. It's a very short book. It's like a page and a half. So just go to Matthew, rewind a little bit. An even easier way to find it is to use the contents page at the front of your Bible. Some people find that useful. Also, an even easier way is to know that if you're using a church Bible, it's page 948. 948. I don't know if you've... Uh, some of us have spent a lot of time reading the Bible. And uh, that's, that's great that we can be reading it together this morning. Some of us, we might not have opened it since we were, you know, at school and we had to read it, you know, as a part of a class or something like that. It might be that some of us have never looked at one before. Um, you might think at first glance it's, it's one book, you know, it's one book, it's got one binder, isn't it? But actually, it's 66 books all put together in like a library of books, and they span an enormous um, number of years. These books, and they're they're divided into two sections. They're not halves. One half, if you like, is bigger than the other. There's 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, and we're at the end of the old testament this morning we're just jumping in to one moment in history and this moment in history is an uncertain moment in history it feels like a broken moment of history it's a moment of history where those standing there can look back and remember great things but also they can look back and remember terribly broken things and they're on the cusp of a new era and we're going to see them interacting with the God of heaven at this moment in history. How are you doing on the last Sunday of, uh, of 2019, the last Sunday of this decade? I've, um, I've been reading a few blog posts and things like that, as you do. Um, when uh, at the end of a year, the 10 best guitar pedals to come out this decade... Tell you about those. Um, The 10 most momentous news um, moments of the last decade, Um, the 10 biggest gaffes on live TV of the last decade, they're all out there. But the thing is, we've all got our private ones too. You know, the 10 best things of the last 10 years. You might want to write them down sometime, you know, before the next decade begins. The 10 most challenging things of the last 10 years. The times when things felt like there was no hope. The times when it felt like it was all in your arms and everything was great. All of those, they all make up the last 10 years. Something unusual about the kind of the eve of a new year. And that is the way that people stop to think. Have you noticed that um, our culture is quite wired up to stop us thinking at all, you know? Um, we've got lots of things that do jobs for us. You know, we've got a Hoover and we've got a car that makes life a little bit easier. Um, and uh, and yet, those jobs um, that should take less time buy us more time. We seem to fill those gaps with other things. It's as though our culture, yes, it's designed to help us to do less work, perhaps. But instead of buying us more time to think, it buys us more time to kind of ram our heads with kind of noise. You know, I jump in the car, I reach for the radio, the radio's on. And I'm driving instead of thinking, you know. I go out to cut the grass or stick my headphones on, and I'm listening to music. And I, I'm not stopping to think. And our culture is kind of designed to stop people stopping to think. But at this moment, at New Year's Eve, as we approach it... There is something in our culture that allows us a moment to kind of look back and reflect and think forward and reflect. I think spiritually, that is something very important to do. And it shouldn't just be something we do at New Year's Eve. But it should be something that is kind of part of our lives as we keep looking back and looking forward. As we keep looking back and seeing God's interventions, seeing those challenges, looking forward, facing those big troubles, those big joys. But reflecting and praying over um, those things. We've purposely had some gaps this morning where we've been praying and we've been into those silent gaps, bringing names, bringing situations. It would be good if this next decade was shaped in my life a bit more by those kinds of of gaps. This little book of Haggai, it says five times to give careful thought, to think deeply, to think. Give careful thought to your ways. And as these next days approach. I think God would want us to be those kinds of people who give careful thought to our ways. In a moment we're going to read the passage. But let me just tell you about the story so far. Because it's a, it's a big one. It, the Old Testament could be summarized as three comings home. And the first one, Abraham is called and he's called to the promised land coming home number one if you like and then his descendants end up as refugees in Egypt and God calls the people to be led by Moses and Joshua out of Egypt back to the promised land it's like coming home number two but the people, they reject God, push him out of their lives. And God warns them. He says, don't live like that because things are going to break if you live like that. But the people keep living like that. And so a king comes called Nebuchadnezzar. And the people are taken out of exile or taken out of the promised land and taken into exile. And it looks like the whole story has ended, broken, a terrible mess in a pit. But then after 70 years another rescue takes place and these people who were in Babylon and had no hope of a future are brought home again by God's intervention. And that's like the third homecoming of the three homecomings in the Old Testament. And it's that moment in history that we're reading this morning. The people have arrived home. And as they arrive home, there's this temple that's a heap of rubble And they say to each other, look, the first priority has got to be to rebuild this temple. We've got to rebuild it because we want God to be honoured among us here. And so they start to build the foundations of the temple. And then they start to build, well, they alter first then the foundations and they start to build this temple. And God, he loves this action that they're taking. He's inspired them to do this because... He knows that these people are really living. They're really on fire life-wise if they have God at the center of their lives. And the action that they're taking of rebuilding this temple is saying to everybody, look, of everything else, we could be building our homes. We could be doing this hobby or that project. But our heart is to see God glorified. And so we're going to build this temple. And they get on with this thing. They build it together. We're going to see this morning that the heart of any life, for a life really to be fulfilled, that God needs to be our first priority. Relationship with God needs to be our first priority. Seeking to honor him in our lives needs to be the first priority. And those people back then, they knew it. And so they started building this temple. But then the enemies of God's people... They had strategies to try and stop them. You could read it in Ezra if you wanted to. We've read it recently. And we find that there are secret agents sent to infiltrate. We find that there are people sent to try to discourage them. There are even professional discouragers hired. Have a look in Ezra chapter four. Then um, there is our th- um, threats of violence, and because of fear, they stop building. The enemy of God's people, the enemies of God's people, take their eyes off of seeking to honor God alone, and they get distracted by other things. And again, it seems like the end of the story. And if you were to talk to one of these people, they would say, yeah, life is all right. You know, we came back from Babylon. It all seemed pretty cool back then. We were quite excited. Some of the blokes wrote a psalm, actually, some songs. It was great. Songs of joy. But life now flat um, deflated you know i thought it would be exciting and joyful back here but somehow it's just it's just nothing really trying to make sense of life trying to plant my seeds and get my clothes and you know make life work but my spirit feels flat they're kind of going and building their own houses they've forgotten about the temple And then, this prophet called Haggai, the secret one hiding at the back of the Old Testament, he speaks, and we're going to hear what he says. But I wonder about us this morning. I wonder if you're thinking, well, you know, life's a bit flat. Life's a bit, you know, monotonous, really. I wonder what's happened I'm chasing after this. I'm trying to build that. I've got that project. I thought that would make me happy. But somehow something's like, the guts are taken out of it. What's life about after all? Let's read what Haggai said to people in that kind of moment. This is Haggai chapter 1 and verses 1 to 3. Actually, we'll go 1 to 4. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? God's messenger comes to the people and he comes to the prince, Zerubbabel. He comes to the priest, Jeshua, and he comes to all the people and he says, God's been listening in. You are making some kind of spiritual language up to say, look, it's not God's time yet to do what God wants. What kind of rubbish is that? Is it time for you to be living in your luxurious houses while this temple that is a sign of your commitment to me, my honor among you, while that remains a ruin? He's heard what they've been saying and he comes back to them speaking in the same language. This is verses 5 and 6. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here's that phrase. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. God can see their situation. I don't know whether you've had moments like this through the last year. It feels like you're investing and nothing comes back. You're eating, you're never satisfied. You're drinking, you're not really full. You're putting on the clothes, but everything just seems to have holes in it. You know, everything you thought was going to make sense and make life work. It just doesn't fulfill the promise it offered when you first started chasing after it. And wages that seem to just fall through the bank, fall through the purse. That's where those people were at. That is how their lives felt. That is how their hearts were. How's your heart? How's your life? How are you feeling? Because we're going to find out that this sense of dissatisfaction, it was a God-inspired dissatisfaction. That sounds odd. A God-inspired satisfaction. Why? We're going to find out now in verse 7 as we read on down to verse 11. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil and everything else the ground produces. On people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. God is lifting up the curtain and letting people see how it all works. And he's saying to them, look, you have been trying to look after your own little luxury, your own little life, live for your own glory. You've stopped caring about My glory, the temple, your relationship with me. You've been looking after those little things. And as you chase after those little things and think they're going to bring you satisfaction, you find they bring you nothing. Because actually you are made for something far more glorious. You are made for relationship with God, connection with him, living for his honor. That's what you're made for. And so God has lovingly made the heavens withhold their due. There's been recession, there's been drought on these people back there in Jerusalem all that time ago because he wants to wake them up. He wants to show to them life can be more than this. You're made for more, you're more precious. You are made for relationship with the living God and you are made to be holding him in the highest honour. You are created to be living for his glory, not for these trinkets. And so he says there in verse 9, You expected much, but see it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. It's not that God cares a great deal about buildings and bricks and concrete it's that the condition of these two buildings if you like your my house that i'm building and the temple shows actually the condition of the people's hearts my heart it shows that the people wanted their own luxury and their own comfort they thought they could build their own safety when actually they're created to be to be living for far more than that. And now I'm reading this, and I've been reading it over the last couple of weeks and writing it out as I do to try and get it into my heart. And I've been thinking to myself, well, what about your heart, Andy? Where is your life? Where are your priorities? Am I trying to live for my little trinkets? Trying to make life comfortable? Or am I prepared to set those things aside and live for God's glory? Live for something far more majestic and wonderful. In fact, what I'm made for. And in fact, what you're made for. And here we are dangerously thinking about our ways. Give careful thought to your ways. He said it twice already. And we're at the beginning of a new decade. And we're going to have a few opportunities these next few days to give careful thought to our ways. And we're going to look back. And we look forward and God, I think, through these passages wants to step into that thought process, step into our hearts at this moment. And he wants to say, well, where are your priorities? He loves you. He loves us. And he wants us not to be satisfied with these silly, petty things but instead to be living for his glory. And as we do these other things, they have the wonderful way of falling into place anyway. But we've got to make the risky decision of letting go of those things and embracing the life that God has for us. And that life, well, the headline of that is about making him first priority, him top of the list, him the one we're living for, his glory You know what happens, don't you, when prophets speak in the Old Testament. They get chucked down wells. um, They get stoned. um, People chop up what they say and burn it. And I wonder what happened to Haggai. I wonder how he ended up. Well, in the next part, we find out what happened. And it's an amazing revolution that takes place in their hearts. And it's a positive thing. Because they listen to what God says. And they change their priorities. This is verse 12. Then Zerubbabel son of Shealtiel. Joshua son of Jozadak, the high priest. And the whole remnant of the people. Obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the message of the prophet Haggai. Because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people. Feared the Lord. You know we're hearing this message this morning. And we're thinking about our priorities. We're thinking about our lives. We're thinking about being on the cusp of this new decade. And we're thinking well what should my priorities be? I can hear what God is saying. He's saying that he should be the one I live for. That I should be living for relationship with him. above everything else whatever the cost. The question is, are we going to take that step? Or are we just going to keep on living like this? But the people, they obey what God says. You can see that in verse 12. And it says at the end of verse 12, the people feared the Lord. What that means is they held him in high honor. They hadn't held him in high honor before and now they did. Something had switched, clicked, changed, revolutionized in their hearts as they say, now I'm going to live for God's glory. And for them, the way that you could see what was going on in their hearts was by seeing what was going on on the building site. It's different for us. But that was how you could see what was going on in their hearts as they said, we're going to stop living for these small things. We're going to do what God has called us to do. I wonder what you sense God calling you to do in this next decade, in this next year. Sometimes it's hard to work out the detail. It's hard to work out whether you should move there or move there. Take that promotion or stay where you are. Whether which, um, how you should turn, left or right, what course to study. But somehow those important things fall into place as we make the big decision to say, look, my priority is going to be to honor God, to live for his glory. We've been singing and seeing this morning that Jesus is God come to us, that he walked among us, that he's shown us that our wrongness needn't cut us off from God because he's died for us so that we could be forgiven. And this morning, it might be that you've been thinking through this year, perhaps you've been visiting the new church building and been a part of some of these mornings and you've been thinking, now, what should I do? Should I just carry on and just kind of make coming to the church just an extra thing? Or should I lay everything down and say, God, I want to live for your glory. I want to live for your honor. I'm sorry for all the wrong things I've done, the way I've been living. You are the Lord. You are going to be my number one priority. I'm going to live for your glory. I think God is calling some of us to that kind of response this morning. God speaks again. We're going down to chapter 2, verse 5, as we read on. But we're going to read now chapter 1, verse 13 to 15. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. God says to these people, who say to him, you are my first priority. I'm living for your glory, your glory alone. And God comes to them and says, I am with you. you know, as we're searching for life, searching for meaning, searching for sense, searching for liberation. In all of these things, God is showing us through this passage that actually we are searching for him. We're longing for relationship with him. And as God comes to these people and says, I am with you, something glorious settles in their hearts. And that verse says that the Lord stirred the spirit, inspired them. No longer were they feeling like flat and half dead, just kind of trying to make one day into the next. Now they're inspired people. Their eyes are fixed on the God of heaven. They're living in relationship with him. He's lifted their spirits, stirred their spirits. I want next year to be like that. I want today to be like that, don't you? I want this next decade to be like that. And it comes to those people who say to God, God, you're my first priority. Jesus, you're the King of Kings. I want you to be my Lord. And as we live like that, then our spirits are stirred and we are inspired. That's what these people would tell us. And that's the kind of life that God wants us to experience as we head into the rest of this week, as we head into the new year, the new decade, As we press forward, the people went and started building. They were now in danger. Before, as they were living for their little lives and just looking after their panelled houses, the enemies of God's people, they didn't care much. They weren't very dangerous. But now they were starting to build the temple. They were kind of awoken. And so letters started going backwards and forwards to the king. This superpower who were, who could come over the mountains in the equivalent of chariots, an equivalent of tanks, their chariots, and just get rid of them all, destroy them all, knock it all down, finish their lives. I wonder whether if we were to go and interview them and we'd say to them, but look, why are you building this temple? You know, you might be killed tomorrow. I reckon they would say, look, I would rather live one day like this, with my spirit stirred, with life with, in relationship with God, than the rest of my life living that petty way, just building my petty comfort when I could be living like this, in relationship with the God of heaven. A while later, about a month later, God speaks again. And we're going to close with this passage. And this passage comes to the people who are saying, look, my life, well, it only makes sense if I am living in relationship with God. It only makes sense connected with him. And he says this to the people. In the second year of King Darius... On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But Now be strong, Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jozadak the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land declares the Lord and work. For I am with you declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. So a month after the people start building, God speaks again. And he says four things to the people. These are the people who were discouraged and broken and just caring about little things. But now they've changed their priorities to live for the God of heaven. And the first thing he says, he says, be strong. And he repeats it. Be strong, be strong, be strong. He's saying, be encouraged, be encouraged, be encouraged, be inspired, be strong. This isn't some kind of proper, empty propaganda, but this is the words of the God of heaven who was preparing to come from heaven itself in the person of Jesus to die in our place, to draw us into relationship with him, to fill us with his spirit. And he says to his people, be strong. And you know, this morning, he says to you, as you change, as we more deeply place our priority on Jesus being Lord, he says, be strong. And then he says to the people as they're leaning on their spades, getting on with building the temple. He says, work, keep going, keep going. Maybe you're praying for that friend who just isn't responding to the message of Jesus. Keep going, God says. Maybe you're um, finding it challenging standing for Jesus in your place of work. You could just stop trying that and just try and live quietly. But God says, keep going. He says, work, He says, be strong. And he says, Work. And the third thing he says is a repeat. It's the headline. It's this I am with you. I am with you. You can see that in verse four I am with you. And you know, that is what we've been realizing this morning, is what life is all about. Having relationship with God, connection with him. Not something we can do by ourselves, but something because of Jesus' death and resurrection we can know. He fills us with his spirit as we call on his name. And we can know the deepest relationship, the presence of God with us. I am with you, God says to the person who says, Jesus is Lord. And finally he says, do not fear It was fear that had shut them down in the first place. And as God comes to the people, he says, do not fear. So as we approach this new year, he's saying to us, be strong. He's saying to us, work. He's saying to us, I am with you. He's saying to us, do not fear. He doesn't want us to live flat monotone lives. He wants us to be inspired, spirit-stirred people because of the work of God in our lives. As we say, God, you are my priority. I want to live for your glory. I want to live for your honor. We're going to pray in response in a moment, and then we're going to sing a song as we close. But as we pray in response some of us are going to say to god god i'm sorry that i've been living for the small things i know you but i've been living for the small things and you are calling me to to live for your glory to make you number one others of us might have been looking back thinking "Look, it's been costly living like this why am i living like this why am i living with god as number one priority but here he's shown us the alternative. A kind of flat monotone life. And he's encouraging us to press forward. And others of us we've never been in relationship with God. And he's calling you this morning to response to. To realize that Jesus is the Lord. The king of everything. That he's on the cusp of returning. That life only makes sense in relationship with God. And relationship with God only comes... Through trusting that Jesus died in our place. Rose from the dead to give us eternal life. And to respond to his sacrifice for us. So let's pray as we close this morning. Father we thank you that we can read these words this morning. We thank you that we could step into the sandals of these people That we can see that dilemma between living the small, self-oriented life or the expansive, glorious life of relationship with you. And this morning you're calling us back to that kind of expansive life, inspired life. As we have you as our top priority, our first priority in our lives. As we seek to live for your glory and your glory alone. Help us as we make decisions, as we focus, um, as we give careful thought to our ways. Lead us to see how we could be living for your glory. You as our first priority. And others of us this morning, we want to say sorry for the way we've been living. Sorry for the way we've been making ourselves the king. Some of us perhaps want to say sorry for the first time. Say, Jesus You died for me so that I could be forgiven. Please fill me with your life. Your abundant life. Draw me into relationship with you. Through your grace and forgiveness. That comes from your death on the cross. I want to live for your honor. Let us be a revolutionary people in this room. Lord Jesus filled with your spirit. Living for your glory. Stirred and inspired. Living a sacrificial life, a life focused on your honor rather than our own. We entrust each other into your loving and powerful hands and we worship you, Lord Jesus. Amen.